I may be a white boy, but I'm not stupid. This is the Lars Larson Show. Somebody at the White House has been smoking the devil's lettuce. Honestly provocative talk radio. More than half the women in my cabinet, more than more than half the people in my cabinet, more than half the women in my administration are women. Lars. Our beloved Lars. republic is in the hands of madmen. This is a dark day. No, here's your host. I almost lost my wife, my 67 Corvette, and my cat. Lars Larson. Welcome back to the Lars Larson Show. It's a pleasure to be with you, and I'm glad to take your calls on the best conversation in talk journalism. And I want to get right into it. I had planned to start out talking about South Carolina, but I'll tell you what. The uh, X poll today, this one has to do with something that just came down a few hours ago. It is a woman in the state of Michigan, and we have a lot of great listeners on WILS and other stations in the state of Michigan. Jennifer Crumbly, she is now looking at decades in prison, 15 years per count. And what crime did she commit? She wasn't a good parent. She didn't pay attention. She bought her teenage son a gun. Now, there's nothing wrong with that. I mean, I, I bought uh, guns from family members, I've, uh, legally, of course, and with the FFL and the 4473 and all the legal razzmatazz that goes with it. But do you leave the gun in the hands of the kids, a kid, or do you lock it up? Do you make sure you know where it is? Well, three years ago in 2021, Jennifer Crumbly, the Michigan mom, didn't know where that gun was. It was a pistol. It was, in fact, in her son's backpack. He was at school and mom was at school, too, because mom had been called to the Oxford High School in Oxford, Michigan. And uh, she, uh, the school officials were concerned because her son had been drawing pictures that seemed to indicate some uh, predilection toward violence and uh, displayed guns in it as well. And they were asking her about it. Did she say, well, that, that's funny you'd ask about that, about him drawing pictures of guns, because I just bought him one a few days ago. She didn't do that. Neither did his father. Uh, neither did the school principal, who was standing there holding the backpack and then handed it back to the young man, commenting on it as he hands the backpack back. This is all from the testimony in the trial that just wrapped up with Jennifer Crumbly's guilty finding from a jury. He hands the backpack back and says, gee, this backpack's really heavy. You know why it was really heavy? If you guessed ahead of me, you're on the same page I'm on, because it had a pistol and extra ammunition in it which Ethan Crumbly then used to murder four of his classmates. He's now sitting in prison on a sentence of life without the possibility of parole. His mom, just convicted a few hours ago by a jury, uh, the jury decided that she is guilty. She now faces up to 15 years in prison per count, and she's going to be held in custody. Dad, James Crumbly, goes on trial next month. Now, I frame the question. Uh, and, and I'm going to reframe it slightly because I'd originally asked, should the parent of a child who commits a mass shooting also be criminally held responsible, uh, be held criminally responsible? I'm going to modify that because the, the question is inartfully phrased. And since I phrased it, I can say it was done inartfully. Should the parents of a child who commits a mass shooting sometimes be held criminally responsible. I only say sometimes because I'm not suggesting that every parent who has a child who commits a crime like this should be held responsible. But in this case, the jury listened to the testimony. Now, of course, I've got a dog in the fight here. I own guns. I carry a gun. I have a concealed carry permit. I've got. I've bought guns for other members of the family. I bought guns for my granddaughter. Does she get access to those guns? No, they're locked up in a safe. 
Would, will she someday, yeah, someday, my stepson, her father, will take her to a gun range. She's not quite eight yet, so maybe a couple of years from now, and she'll learn how to shoot. And then if she wants to continue doing that, she'll do it under the careful supervision of dad or granddad or someone, someone responsible. But she will not be allowed unfettered access to a gun. And in this case, that's what Jennifer Crumbly and her husband did. They bought a gun, a pistol, for the son. Did they take it out of his possession, hold it in their possession, lock it up somewhere? Like seems like the responsible thing to do. And I'm sure to hear from at least one person who says, well, was it the law? You have to lock it up in Michigan. Some states have laws like that. Other states do not. I'd counter with that question. Does the government have to tell you to do something that's pure common sense? Because what you do with examples like this, you feed the monster that is the gun control monster out there. You know, Michael Bloomberg and that whole mess of people, every town, USA, and all that nonsense, you give them lots of excuses. You say gun owners can't be responsible. So when somebody is irresponsible, should they be held? If the circumstances are right, should they be held criminally responsible? I would answer the question, yes. You can answer any way you like. You'll find the ex-poll question at Lars Larson Show. you also find it on our website at LarsLarson.com if you're not a big fan of Twitter or X as it's now called. It's brought to you by AMAC, the Association of Mature American Citizens. AMAC has the conservative values I believe in. I joined the group years and years ago. You should, too. Just go to AMAC.us or call 888-262-2006. AMAC is better, better for you and better for America. Now, I know this is going to spur, it actually is going to spur a lot of commentary. I get that. And you say, well, are you going to hold every parent responsible? Depends on the circumstances. What the jury found in that Michigan trial was that that woman had acted irresponsibly and she was guilty in their minds. They found her guilty of involuntary manslaughter. Her son was found guilty of murder and sent off to prison for the rest of his natural life with no possibility of parole, which I think is exactly as it should have gone. But in any case, take your calls at 866-439-5277. If you're a naysayer, we'll put you right to the head of the line. Just stick around for a few questions from me at 866-439-5277. Remember it as 866-HEY-LARS. You can send emails. That's easy to remember as well. Talk at LarsLarson.com. And, of course, you can always vote in our X poll, and you can find that on the web as well as on X. Uh, uh, shout out to our friends in Jackson, Mississippi, to listen to great talk radio all day on w- WFMN, and that's 97.3 in Jackson, Mississippi. I've had the pleasure of visiting that town. It's very nice. I do want to mention this thing about Joe Biden. You know, much of the media, they just love the fact that in the South Carolina Democratic presidential primary was won by Joe Biden, and they trumpeted the fact that he got 96% of the vote. Now, nobody bothered to ask, well, how many people actually voted? Because there are about 3.2 million registered voters in the state of of South Carolina. You know what percentage turned out to vote for Joe Biden? I mean, there must be just blinding, you know, uh, interest in the Joe Biden race as a candidate. Four percent of the voters turned out and actually bothered to cast a ballot. You can tell the enthusiasm for Joe Biden just knows no bounds. But this is the crazy thing. If this were Donald Trump and uh, he got 4% of the turnout, Donald Trump actually generates turnout wherever he goes. If he goes to a stadium to give a speech, he, he generates a full stadium. 
If he goes to any kind of venue, he generates a full venue. Joe Biden gets 4% of the voters to turn out, but he got 96% of the votes that they cast. Isn't that amazing? No, it's really not. You can feel, it is palpable, you can feel the lack of enthusiasm on the part of Democrats. They could not care less about Joe Biden right now. They know that Joe Biden has laid waste to a great country called the United States of America. They know that if he got four more years of this, we would, number one, see the continuing invasion of America and the economy go right down the toilet. Back in a moment. Glad to get your calls. You're listening to The Lars Larson Show. Talk Radio. Here's Lars Larson. Welcome back to the Lars Larson Show. It's a pleasure to be with you and always a pleasure to talk to my friend Frank Gaffney, who's got really his finger on the pulse of what's going on around the world and the things that put American security at risk. He's founder of the Center for Security Policy in Washington, D.C., the author of the number one best-selling book on Amazon in its category, The Indictment, Prosecuting the Chinese Communist Party and Friends for Crimes Against America, China, and the World. Frank, welcome back. Thank you for having me, Lars. We got to talk about this immigration bill. I mean, uh, because for the life of me, I cannot wrap my head around why Republicans can be so dense that they, the ones in the Senate at least would say, I know, we've got an idea. Uh, House Resolution 2 has passed the House, but we won't bother to try and get our Democrat friends to act on that, which might actually do some good. We're going to write our own bill that institutionalizes and essentially legalizes the illegal entry, I mean, as contradictory as that sounds, but it legalizes the illegal entry of 5,000 illegals a day. As long as they don't go, you know, too much past that number, we're good to go for another 1.8 million illegal entrants this year, except this time it'll be done under color of law. Am I misunderstanding any part of that James Langford proposal? Well, there's a lot more text to it, but I think you've got the essence of it. It is the last thing you would use to describe border control. Um, it's, it's simply um, managing the upward bounds of incessant, out-of-control immigration. And not only that, Lars, but some of that other text, you know, actually creates additional incentives to people to come here, like, you know, facilitating uh, amnesty, for example. Uh, and we don't need to be giving any more encouragement to people to come here. They've got plenty as it is. Uh, and that does not include, of course, all the free stuff that they get, including, of course, uh, trips to wherever you want to go, paid for by the taxpayer, free phones, uh, you know, social services, uh, education and, and health care and the like. And yet... The Republicans put it together. I don't understand why they didn't just walk away from the table. If the Democrats said, well, you're going to have to load it up with some of this stuff or it's not going to go anywhere. Say, fine, it's not going anywhere. You want to pass a partisan bill? Go ahead. It'll die in the House. But why put their names, especially an alleged conservative like Langford? Um, I don't know the guy, 
but but he's supposed to be a conservative Republican from a relatively conservative state. And they put together a deal and put their names on it that they know they should know has absolutely no chance of being approved, not necessarily by the by the House, but by the American people. Well, let me just mention a term that I'm sure is not new to your audience, Lars. Um, this is what the controlled opposition does. It's not really an opposition. It's not the, the Republicans in the Senate are basically going along to get along. And that has been the leitmotif, really, uh, with a couple of exceptions, I, I think notably uh, on judges. Um, Mitch McConnell's time as minority leader and his time before that as majority leader um, was characterized by trying to, you know, uh, accommodate the agenda of the left. And it is at odds with the agenda of the base of the party that um, he ostensibly uh, helps lead in the United States Senate. And I, I think it's time for him to go. I agree very strongly with Senator Mike Lee, who's saying the same thing. This travesty, which is made the more so because, as I understand it, neither Mitch McConnell nor James Lankford are going to vote for this thing. I think it's coming up on the floor They tomorrow, came up with mistaken. it, and they're not going to. I saw what you wrote, but they came up with the idea and said, how about this? And they said, but I'm not voting for it. It's like running a restaurant and saying, but I wouldn't eat there. <laughs> yeah. I like this food analogies. I like food analogies, Frank, in case you haven't guessed by looking at a picture. We can, we can all relate to them. Yeah, but the point is, Lars, this is the thing. Um, they misjudged the opposition in this country to more of an insecure border, uh, let alone, as you say, um, kind of kosherizing it uh, for the purposes of helping Joe Biden with his uh, increasingly problematic reelection campaign. Um, it, it's inconceivable that uh, anyone who actually deserves to lead the United States Senate's Republicans um, would uh, would count at such a thing, let alone be a principal architect of it. But that's what Mitch McConnell is, and that's why it's time for him to be replaced. I, well, I, we I all know not just by another establishment Republican. Uh, well, except like, that's the message that comes yeah. through. And if you had a, I mean, if if Lee were to say, why don't we do this? We know the Democrats aren't going to like anything we like, but let's put together a you know a Senate version of HR two and say that's what we'll approve. Otherwise, you want to go ahead with it on your own and tell the American public that you couldn't negotiate anything. They gave away the store. I mean, was there much more yep. they could have given? And I have read through all the different bullet points on the on the bill. It's full of all kinds of garbage, you know. And oh, by the way, the five thousand we don't count kids, uh, and we don't count this, and we don't count that. And uh, and and if you came, you know, use use the new app and. You know, we're going to put you in on humanitarian parole, and we don't count those. So they might get literally eight, seven, eight, nine thousand people a day and say, but it's not 5,000 adults that are being counted, so that's okay. And the U.S. Senate and the House voted for it in their fever dreams. Yeah. This exhibits contempt for the American people. And I, I hope that the American people will respond in kind to those who are perpetrating it. You know, the, the question is, Lars, the Senate, just uh, if all other things were equal, this election cycle 
heavily favors the Republicans. They should take the majority easily. But they're putting it at risk by going down this road. It is alienating their base. It is an affront, I think, to people of both parties who understand that this border insecurity is imperiling our nation. I mean, it fundamentally goes to the heart of our sovereignty as well as our security. Among others, we've talked about this before, but among others, we have, we believe now, several divisions worth of People's Liberation Army soldiers who have come across that open border. And that doesn't even, excuse me, doesn't even take into account the jihadis who are here in untold thousands as well. And this is going to, I believe, cost us dearly. And it must stop. No, no more of this, um, you know, controlled opposition nonsense. This must stop and it must be replaced by people who reflect the will of the Republican base and who I think have the prospect for making a real difference in the Senate in the future if they are, you know, not only accommodated, but uh, heard and uh, followed. I'm talking to Frank Gaffney from the Center for Security Policy. Frank, one other issue. I want to ask you about Tower 22, this base where three service members from Georgia were all murdered by a terrorist attack with drones. And now we find out they had no system for monitoring what flew in and out. So they didn't say we didn't mistake the drone that killed three service members, wounded 40 more. We, we didn't see it coming. There was no device for that. And there was no on the ground, and they do. I know they've got devices, phalanx guns that are used to shoot down both missiles and drones. You know, when when they get the shot right, um, and and they didn't have any of that. We put people in harm's way like that. And we don't give them the tools on the ground to shoot down things from the air that are attacking them. How in the world? It's so much worse than that, Lars. I'm sorry to say, we have been encouraging the people who actually perpetrated this, let's be clear, and it's not some Iranian proxy group that nobody ever heard of. It's the government of Iran that's calling these shots. And this administration has been doing everything it can to appease and otherwise embolden the Iranians. So the only thing that's amazing to me is that more American lives have not been lost so far. It's no, and Joe, 100 Joe- plus attacks. I've got to wrap up, but but Frank, Joe Biden could tomorrow say, remember all those sanctions that Trump put on you that I lifted the enforcement of when I walked in on day one? They are now slamming down into place again. We're freezing everything we can freeze. We're going to tell our allies not to buy oil from you. We're going to starve you, you mad mullahs of Tehran. And he won't do it. Frank Gaffney, thank you very much. When we come back, I'll get to your phone calls and your emails. The Lars Larson Show. Authors, experts, and a healthy dose of opinion. Find it at LarsLarson.com. Welcome back to the Lars Larson Show. It's a pleasure to be with you, and I'm glad to take your phone calls and emails. Our Twitter poll or X poll today, should the parents of children 
who commit mass shootings be sometimes be held criminally responsible. I only say sometimes because I'm not going to lay it down as a hard and fast rule that they are always criminally responsible. I think in many cases, parents are not. But in uh, Michigan, Jennifer Crumbly, a mother, was convicted of involuntary manslaughter for the murders committed by her son. He was convicted earlier and uh, sent to prison, I think, in December. He'll stay there for the rest of his natural life with no chance of parole. So... Should the parents of children who commit mass shootings sometimes be held criminally responsible? I'd answer yes to that. It's apparently the what's happened in Michigan with Jennifer Crumbly is apparently the first time in American history. I'm not aware of any other specific cases uh, where a shooting like this has led to criminal charges against the mother. Although there was a case in West Virginia involving that child who took a gun to school and his mother had some legal problems over it. That one might be comparable. I'll allow that. The poll on X is found at Lars, at Lars Larson Show, and it's also found on our website at LarsLarson.com. Let me go first to James. Hey, James, welcome to the Lars Larson Show. We always put naysayers to the front of the line. What do you and I disagree about that makes you a naysayer? Oh, I just got two questions for you, Lars. Uh, the sure. first one's about guns. Um, I'm an archaeologist. I study history. I'm just wondering, do you think it's a good idea for a civilization to make guns? Yes. less expensive than rent, because the average rent across the nation is well north of $1,000 a month, and the average cost for a firearm is less than two or $300. I don't I'm think the average cost of a firearm idea. is below two or $300. you are talking through how to, I mean, you, can you find a gun, a cheap pot metal gun for a couple hundred bucks? Yeah. But, but for the most yeah. part, the, I'll, if you want me to, I'll look that up. But why, why is rent related to guns at all? Can you tell me that? Well, because oftentimes people that are going through crisis situations has to do with their living situations. Maybe something they live with that they don't like or their apartment that they rent, they don't like the landlord types, type situation. And when they go through a crisis situation, should the bar to get a firearm be so low? So I, I, I'm not, I guess I'm just wondering, Guns are the only consumer good that's mentioned in the U.S. Constitution as a right, the right to keep and bear guns. There's no comparable well, right. Hold on. Hold on. So I'm, I'm asking about the second part. OK, what's the second part of your question? Because you, you're, you're not disagreeing with me at all. But OK, no, I am. I think there should not be people should not so, be allowed to buy firearms oh person. oh hold on now you've changed your you've changed from guns shouldn't be as inexpensive as they are to the government should forbid people to exercise their second amendment rights so you'd like to change the constitution is that what you're asking uh personally yes i would like okay to, but but I'm tell me why I know, how would I know how would about, a how would a disarmed society be a better well, society well do you know how many people committed suicide by gun last year in 2022. I do. I do, as a matter of fact. And I know and I know that the suicide rate in South Korea, which is a civilized country that has a suicide rate that makes Americans pale by America's suicide rate pale by comparison. And they have almost no private gun ownership at all. And yet they have a stratospheric suicide rate. So tying the two together, you're just talking from the Bloomberg talking points. How about tell me what your real opinion is? Successful suicide attempts with a gun versus with another means. Well, People now you're. Far more successful you keep changing the subject, James. Are you talking about can you be successful with pills or a rope or something else? You keep changing the subject. 
If I tell you that South Korea has almost no private gun ownership at all and has a gigantic suicide rate, your suicide argument goes out the window. And if you're telling me that if tomorrow somehow you could eliminate the Second Amendment and then confiscate the 450 million firearms in America, that suicide would go away, that's also a cockamamie uh, argument. And I'd be willing to bet you couldn't well, find a single melt. Now, hold on. Hold on. You couldn't find a single mental health professional who would tell you, James, that the suicide rate would go down if guns were simply unavailable in America. Actually, you need to talk to some mental health professionals. Because oh, I, I know most of them are anti-gun, the but, but is, it doesn't the it doesn't mean their is, argument works. Can I can I speak now, Lars? Um, no. Wondering. <laughs> I know it's your show, but I, I would just like to respond. To what well, you when said. you make cockamamie people, arguments, i got to answer them. When you talk to people in the mental health community, the fact is people that attempt suicide often do so more than once. And the fact is, when you do so with a gun, it's a lot easier to be successful on that first attempt. Okay, a lot easier. But, but James, James, that's, I, that's I got to ask you this. You started with guns should be more expensive. Then you said guns should be banned. The Second Amendment should be eliminated. A good idea. I think good idea I agree with Heinlein that an armed gun. society is a very good, is a very polite society. And in fact, when you look at disarmed parts of America, disarmed or of of the world, not not America, disarmed parts of the world are dangerous places for citizens. They're also places where the government will roll right over the. Hold on, let me finish. The government will roll right over the rights of citizens, but America's government understands the reason the founders put that in the Constitution. They didn't fear other countries. They'd already beaten the greatest army and navy on the planet, which was Great Britain. But what they did worry about was tyranny from governments right here in the United States. And they said it out loud and in public, and they wrote it in the Constitution, the right of the people to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed. Why? because they feared a tyrannical government. And all around this planet, you see where disarmed populations are often abused by what passes for government where they happen to be. Oftentimes, they're very violent governments. They're run by thugs. And in America, the people will not tolerate that. Do you understand that idea? Uh, I think I do, but I would argue that the South Korean people have a a way higher opinion of their government than ours. Oh, I think I would love to show you some that. videos of some of the protests in South Korea. There are an awful lot of angry South Koreans yeah. who are angry with their government, and I don't think not having guns has anything to do with it in that case, but they've already been disarmed. Let's go to uh, David. Hey, David, welcome to the Lars Larson Show. Lars, I wanted to know what you thought about when individuals like uh, Ethan uh, Kremley's parents um, should actually not be prosecuted. Um, I look at this, it's almost like reciprocal justice from the Old Testament of the Bible. I'm pro-gun. I've carried a concealed weapon. I support the ownership of any kind of firearm you want, even machine guns. Okay, do you want to frame it as, when do I not think they should be prosecuted? When she, I think Jennifer Crumbly, there's a reason she was convicted, because she acted irresponsibly, had a number of, of opportunities to act responsibly that would have saved lives. She didn't, and that became involuntary manslaughter. I saw a case, Lars, and this is relevant to, to firearm ownership. Nothing makes me madder than somebody shooting their own child. And I sent you a story 
of of last month when uh, an individual, uh, a Roy Ipok, who shot his own son, seven year old son, and he had to be transferred from Deschutes County, Oregon, over to. Okay, but but hold on, David. You're going to have to get to the point because we're going to run up against the break. What's the point you're trying to make? The point is, when should people be prosecuted? When when they have uh, when they should have acted responsibly, and there were clear opportunities for them to. She bought a gun for her son. Good so far. She gets called to the school, and they say we've got a concern about violent drawings. Your son is drawing involving guns. She should have said. Well, I just bought a gun for my son a couple of days ago, literally. And at that point, she and the school officials should have said, where is that gun right now? Well, her son was in the next room. He had his backpack, which happened to have the gun in it. And nobody bothered to check it. Not mom, not the principal, not the school authorities. She had ample opportunity to act. She failed to act. She committed involuntary manslaughter. You're listening to The Lars Larson Show. the biggest players in it, U.S. Steel, is simply being scrapped out. Well, Joel Griffith joins me now, research fellow at the Rowe Institute at the Heritage Foundation. Joel, welcome to the program. And did I overstate what is happening to U.S. Steel? Well, look, U.S. Steel is being bought out by a a foreign competitor. Um, But there also has been quite a bit of hysteria uh, about this. Um, um, For instance, uh, this notion that the jobs are going to disappear that is almost uh, uh, certain not to occur. In fact, uh, more than likely, because of new efficiencies and growth in the company, once the Japanese acquire takes hold, um, there'll likely be an addition of jobs here in the United States. Okay, so why, why is it that if this is an attractive property, meaning if you're going to buy it and you're not only not going to shut it down, not, not going to scrap it, but run it and run it even better and run it profitably, which is why I assume that it was purchased by the foreign purchaser, why wasn't it purchased by any kind of American group? Uh, well, it's become very attractive to uh, foreign competitors in large part because of the very tariffs and protectionism that U.S. Steel and other large manufacturers have lobbied for over the years. If you look back a few years ago when the uh, steel tariffs went into effect, which Let's make no mistake about it, whether it's the Democrat or Republican putting in place tariffs like that, that is going to be a big drag on the economy, and it certainly yep. was. Those steel tariffs went into effect. We saw the price of goods rise. Typical washer-dryer went up by $100. But we also saw a lot of downstream effects because we have a lot of manufacturers, of course, that rely on steel inputs. So we actually, by trying to target a handful of companies like U.S. Steel for benefits, we ended up harming our manufacturing sector overall. But what that does to a domestic producer, that actually makes them more desirable to a foreign acquirer because that foreign acquirer now won't have to deal with so many of those tariffs. Um, So I would say in reality, this is exactly what uh, a lot of the the board members of U.S. Steel probably hope for. It made their company more attractive um, to an acquisition. Yeah, and Joel, I have to tell you, from my point of view, I've never really liked tariffs, especially when they're done for protectionist means. And at the time, those were slapped in place, and that was during Trump, wasn't it? It was during President it was Trump? During, it was during Trump. And you know, President Trump did a lot of great things for business, including the, the tax reductions, regulatory reductions, and really unleashing our energy sector. But the tariffs were a step backwards. It rewarded a few 
um, a, a few politically favored companies at the expense of the broader economy. And unfortunately, President Biden left in place a lot of those tariffs. And yet, and yet, from a Democrat point of view, they probably love the tariffs because it either means you have more companies doing business on American soil like U.S. Steel and making steel here and paying taxes on it, or you have foreign steel coming in and paying the tariffs. Either way, Uncle Sam wins, right? Uncle Sam might win in the short run, and tariffs are certainly, they are a tax. But in the long run, uh, even the, the federal government likely loses out because it ends up shrinking the total amount of output that we have, and it ends up shrinking the amount of goods and services that consumers can actually purchase. What would have been the better move? Just simply leave the tariffs off, not protect American steel, and then the foreign competitors just eat their lunch, don't they? Well, look, there's a lot of um, um, awful policies that the government has in place that is, that, that are, that is definitely restricting our manufacturing sector. Think of uh, in place all the, the carbon emissions restrictions that have been put in place uh, indirectly on businesses. The regulations themselves. There's estimates that in the manufacturing sector, regulations on employees, that can run upwards of $25,000 per year per employee. And, you know, and here's, the, here's the funny thing about that, or not so funny thing, it actually disproportionately impacts the smaller businesses. Smaller businesses, smaller manufacturers pay a large amount of employee uh, um, compliance costs per employees in the big manufacturers. And that's the very reason why you end up seeing a lot of large manufacturers like U.S. Steel lobby for more of those regulations because it ends up helping them put their smaller competitors out of business. It's very warped. So I think we want to see truly um, a a big growth in in the manufacturing sector. Let's eliminate the regulation. Let's reduce the taxes on, on investment and on income and allow that manufacturing sector to thrive. I, lo- I love the idea because, Joel, uh, the downstream effects you talked about, let me take it one step further. So you make it more expensive for the American, still American-made uh, washer-dryer manufacturer, for example. So they're paying more for steel to protect U.S. steel. That works uh, against the washer-dryer manufacturer, except they can't beat the lower labor costs, lower regulatory costs, and lower tax costs of their foreign competitors. So it might have the effect of actually driving the American makers of those goods out of business because people are going to walk into the big box store and say, gee, I'd buy this American-made washer-dryer, but it costs so much more than the one that's made in China or some other part of Asia. And they buy them instead, and that business goes under, unless you throw up some protectionist barriers for them. Well, you know, and you bring up a very important point. And when you see these regulations put in place on our manufacturers, um, whether it's the, the labor regulations or the environmental regulations, what you end up doing is exporting that production abroad. And I'm all for free trade. But when you have our federal government handicapping our own businesses, that is not right. I mean, think about, for instance, uh, on the green energy side, we have all these restrictions out of the coming down the pike on, on carbon emissions. What do we end up doing? Well, that 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 energy production ends up shifting overseas. You still get the pollution, but we don't get the benefit of actually producing. Now, when it comes to free trade itself, you know, I think there's a big misnomer lately. Free trade is um, almost a, uh, uh, considered an obscene word nowadays. But if you look back at what, what we've seen in the manufacturing sector after NAFTA, the free trade agreement in Mexico and Canada was put in place in the early 2000s, we've actually seen manufacturing increase in real terms following the implementation of that free trade agreement. If you could look at the right now compared to the year 2000, we are actually producing about 15% more manufacturing than we were 
back then. So the solution is not to get rid of free trade. The solution to really seeing an explosion in manufacturing, get rid of the regulations that are acting as an albatross from the next of our businesses. And by the way, one of the other things I'm kind of expecting to come because Biden seems hell-bent on getting to his EV mandates, even though American manufacturers have been saying, this doesn't pencil out, we can't get it done. And I'm aware, and you may actually know, how much cheaper does, say, China make electric vehicles than America's making electric vehicles? Could you foresee the Biden administration, maybe not before the election, but right after it, saying, by the way, we're going to open the doors to uh, foreign companies to sell EVs into America, which I think are currently constrained by some of those same regulations, because otherwise, in a free market situation, they'd be making all of our EVs. And I'm not crazy about EVs, by the way. Yeah, well, I think in a free market situation, there'd be far less demand for EVs. You know, the reason why we've seen demand even as elevated as it is, is because we have all these tax credits and tax subsidies that are in effect patting the pockets of companies like uh, Tesla. I don't want to just pick on Tesla, see other EV manufacturers as well. But I don't think the typical person wants one of those vehicles that they actually had to pay the full cost, realize the full cost and deal with the unreliability. We should no. get rid of those subsidies, zero those subsidies out altogether, and let the free market determine how much of a demand there actually is for an electric vehicle. I, I can tell you, Joel, I love my internal combustion engine, and I'm not giving it up. That's Joel Griffith from the Heritage Foundation. You've got the Lars Larson Show. The Lars Larson Show. This is the Lars Larson Show. Somebody at the White House has been smoking the devil's lettuce. Honestly provocative talk radio. More than half the women in my cabinet, more than more than half the people in my cabinet, more than half the women in my administration are women. Lars. Our beloved Republic is in the hands of madmen. This is a dark day. No, here's your host. Almost lost my wife, my 67 Corvette. And my cat, Lars Larson. Welcome back to the Lars Larson Show. It's a Tuesday, and it's the day that the House Republicans sold out America. And let me tell you why I'm saying that. I'm saying it because three Republicans, and I'll name them, they voted no on the impeachment of Homeland Security Secretary uh, Alejandro Mayorkas. Now, this guy has committed high crimes and misdemeanors. This guy has, as a cabinet secretary... He's lied to the United States Congress, and he's told all of America why the border is secure. There's nothing wrong with the border whatsoever. You know, we're doing everything we possibly can. That's not true. He says that he's following uh, the, the, the law, and he's not following the law. We've given you specific examples. There's one, for example, uh, called humanitarian parole. The Congress put it in there because they said, what happens if we have an illegal alien at the border? And she comes across the line, and she's clearly pregnant, and she goes into labor. You don't say, well, we're just shoving you back across the border. You take the woman to a hospital. You let her bear her child. If you find somebody who's in terribly desperate medical condition, you bring that person in. If somebody's needed to testify in a trial, you give them humanitarian parole, even though they have no legal right to enter our country. You bring them in. You allow them to do what they need to do, and you do it on a case-by-case basis. The Joe Biden administration, led by Homeland Security Secretary Mayorkas, has simply said, we're going to grant humanitarian parole to hundreds of thousands of people and allow them to come in. 
even though they don't fit the circumstances that are the reason the Congress wrote that exception to the law. Now, he lied. He claimed that the border is secure. He claimed that the border is closed. And he obstructed lawful oversight by the U.S. Congress. And still in all, you have a majority of Republicans. It's a thin one, but you have a majority of Republicans uh, in the House of Representatives. So who voted no? What were the key votes? Ken Buck of Colorado, alleged Republican. Mike Gallagher of Wisconsin, alleged Republican. And the one I find the hardest to believe, Tom McClintock of California. He's been on this show any number of times. On most issues, well, I find myself in complete agreement with Congressman McClintock. But in this case, he votes no on impeaching Mayorkas. Now, I realize that a cabinet secretary has not been impeached in about 150 years. It goes back to, I think it's 1876, was the last time we had a cabinet secretary who was actually impeached. But we've never had a cabinet secretary who's done this kind of damage to America, saying simply, we're going to let millions of people come across the border. And then Mayorkas goes right up on Capitol Hill and tells the Congress why everything's fine. The border is secure. We're doing our job even though 10 million have come in in the last three years. This is an existential threat to the United States. It's a threat financially. It's a threat in almost every way. Look at New York City as, an, as emblematic of how this is going to go. Billions of dollars literally diverted from services to citizens, police, fire, medical, housing, jobs, food, everything else. I've documented for you that there are hospitals in America's Southwest that are going under financially because of illegal aliens. Why? Because when you invite millions of people to come into your country and they have no health insurance, and of course all the do-gooders in government say, well, we've got to give them $1,000 when they walk in across the border. And Eric Adams says, let's give them $1,000 if they make it to New York. And then you've got state governors like Jay Inslee that literally took a third of a billion, $340 million of taxpayer money and handed it out not to Americans. Americans were not eligible. $340 million in one state handed out specifically to illegal aliens. And then you wonder, why are people coming here? Oh, because they can make 10 or 20 times as much money by working a job, because they get free housing, they get free health care, they get free medical, they get it all. And their kids get an education. Well, I, you know, the kind of education you get from government-run schools these days, not much to write home about. But the fact that Buck of Colorado, Gallagher of Wisconsin, and McClintock of California would pull this kind of stunt, we, they did all the work to make sure this impeachment was done by the book. Not the way the Democrats impeached Trump the first time or the second time. Both of them done entirely differently. Hold hearings, have public, the public able to see the evidence against them. With Mayorkas, they did it all by the book. And guess what? Three Republican sellouts denied. And this just happened within the last hour. So the vote was taken. There is a chance to have a reconsideration. And I would hope that somebody like Tom McClintock of California would hear from not just everybody in his district. I hope he hears from everybody in the state of California. That state is going under financially. And if you took out all the billions of dollars that are spent in California to provide services for people who have no legal right to be in the state at all, the state would not be in the kind of financial shape it's in now. But they are. And now Congressman McClintock, who I've always thought was a good friend of the show, 
Uh, you know, because he'll come on and he'll answer questions. That's one of my measures for whether or not I trust somebody is, will you stand up and show the courage of your convictions? If you do something controversial, that's fine. As long as you're willing to answer some questions. Why in the world would they not hold the Homeland Security Secretary responsible? The Joe Biden FBI. Even the Joe Biden FBI says our wide open border is creating a national security threat within our borders. Now, that's that's not coming from the Wall Street Journal or Fox News or the Lars Larson show. That's coming from from the Joe Biden FBI. They say you're creating a situation in which we have literally Thousands of fighting age males from China, from every other corner of the globe, a total of 143 different countries. And we've got a lot of people who are able to fly around this country, get on an airplane with a taxpayer funded ticket, no picture ID whatsoever. We have absolutely no idea who they are, except we do know that literally hundreds of them are identified as terrorists. We know that Thousands of them have been identified as convicted criminals. And for all the people who over the last 30 years, 40 years, have spent a lot of money and a lot of time and a lot of effort to come into this country legally, to obtain a green card, to be able to come to America and say, I promise I will not become a public charge. I won't end up on food stamps and welfare and Section 8 and all that. All of those people just got a big poke in the eye from Joe Biden and, unfortunately, from the Republicans as well, saying, doesn't matter how hard you work to get in legally, we just let in 10 million people illegally. You are a chump for doing it the right way. That kind of message and the answer from Republicans, who I know want to have a majority in the House after the next election. They want to have a majority in the Senate, and we want to win the presidency as well. And you tell Americans from the Senate side, we've got this border deal that legalizes the illegal crossing of 5,000 people a day. And only if it goes substantially beyond that number, do we shut the border down? 5,000 people a day, five times what Jay Johnson, the former Homeland Security Secretary under Obama, said was a national crisis. And we're 500% of that right now. And this is what we get. The Senate tells us, Senate Republicans tell us, we're going to sell you out. And now House Republicans have sold us out, and in particular, Ken Buck of Colorado, Mike Gallagher of Wisconsin, and Tom McClintock of California. Give us an explanation for it, or you're probably going to say goodbye in the next election. You're listening to The Lawrence Larson Show. Brutal Honesty, whether you like it or not, with Lars Larson. Welcome back to the Lars Larson Show. It's a pleasure to be with you. I'll get back to your phone calls and emails shortly at 866-HEY-LARS. Naysayers to the head of the line at 866-439-5277. Send your emails to talk at LarsLarson.com. Vote in our poll on X, and the poll on X has to do with the decision in Michigan to find a mom guilty of involuntary manslaughter in the deaths caused directly by her teenage son. He's already sitting in prison, in prison for life, no chance of parole. He shot and killed four people at his school about three years ago. 
but she bought the gun and she didn't do what she should have done. And as a result, she's been found guilty of involuntary manslaughter. And she's looking at probably decades in prison when she's sentenced. So on that note, let's turn to our friend, Dr. Henry Miller, uh, uh, our medical go-to guy, a physician and molecular biologist, the Glenn Swagger Distinguished Fellow at the American Council on Science and Health. How are you doing, Doc? Just great, Lars. Thank you. Good to be let's with ta- you. Yeah, it's great to have you on. The, let's talk about the avian flu. And uh, it, it's it's causing a lot of uh, problems worldwide, isn't it? It, it certainly is. Uh, and it's, it's a problem uh, all over. Uh, in Sonoma County, north of San Francisco, uh, they've had to, to cull, that is to kill, more than a million birds in the last couple of months because of avian flu. What happens is if a single bird is infected in a flock, the whole flock has to be sacrificed and incinerated or buried. Um, so it, it's a real problem. It, it Also, it's not only birds, uh, which, uh, of course, economically affects uh, poultry farmers. It also uh, is spreading to mammals. Uh, it, uh, it, because uh, it infects uh, foxes and cats and dogs and so on, uh, and even the occasional human, usually from contact with the birds and not human-to-human transmission. So it's a, a real problem and a, a crisis waiting to happen. So what's the best fix? Well, uh, th- there aren't many good alternatives. Um, there are... Uh, vaccines that have been available, but you, you just can't vaccinate that many chickens. Uh, we have, we have uh, 8 billion chickens uh, sacrificed every year for their meat and another 300 million for, uh, as a source of eggs. So you, you just can't do that. Uh, what's sort of promising, and you'll, I'll explain why I say sort of in a moment, uh, is uh, some British scientists have developed uh, avian flu-resistant strains of chickens. Uh, so uh, you'll recall that, that viruses don't uh, exist independently the way bacteria do. You can't just pour growth medium in and get them to grow. They have to infect host cells. And uh, these scientists uh, modified or deleted a, a protein in uh, the chicken cells that the uh, virus needs in order to replicate itself. So without that, uh, that protein, the, uh, the chickens are virus resistant. Uh, and uh, that's, that's sort of promising uh, because you, they, it breeds through, it's hereditable. Uh, but the problem is that there are so many breeds of chickens. There are some uh, 56 in, uh, in use uh, commercially farmed in the U.S. alone and many more abroad. And you have to create uh, resistant strains for each of those, uh, those breeds of chickens. So it's, it's not a panacea, but it's potentially, uh, it's potentially useful down the road, at least for a few of the most popular strains. So, Dr. Miller, are there, are there breeds of chickens uh, that, that are naturally resistant to it? And could you use that? Because I know a lot of the world is going to object to GMO. I don't, but they, there are a lot of people who do. Uh, there, there are not. Uh, there, there may be some a small variation, but uh, it's such an infectious virus in, in poultry 
that uh, there aren't really uh, significantly uh, virus-resistant strains. Um, you, you're right about um, some resistance internationally, but... Um, well, is know, Europe there, even going to entertain the idea of taking, say, GMO chickens and, and, and allowing them? Because it, it seems we, Europe is sort of the, the hotbed for anti-GMO activism. That, that's true. We don't know that yet. Uh, because they haven't engaged it. But and uh, the FDA has been amenable to genetically engineered animals for various things. There, there's the uh, uh, Aqua Advantage uh, salmon that's faster growing uh, that is in commercial use. And but that took very, 20 years, didn't it? That took 20 years for a review. Do we have uh, they, 20 years? <laughs> no, we, we don't. They've done, the FDA has done less badly more recently. Uh, they approved a, a very interesting uh, strain of pigs called GalSafe, um, that, uh, it, who sells a lack of sugar called alpha-gal. And uh, so they, because of that, they can be consumed by people who have an allergy to red meat uh, called alpha-gal syndrome, which is actually not uncommon. So there, there are precedents. Uh, there are uh, scientific precedents and there are regulatory precedents, fortunately, but there are also obstacles. I, as I you know what, Doc? I'd never heard of that. There are people who are allergic to red meat? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, after all, after all, after what millions of years, you've got human beings who probably had to had to be able to eat red meat as part of their diet, and now they're allergic to it. How does that happen? Uh, I, it may be post an infection of some sort. I'm, I'm not sure. Uh, I'll have to look it up for you, and we'll talk about it in future. But it's alpha gal syndrome, and uh, again, it's not uncommon. So. Where does this go now? To the vast machinery of the FDA, which will chew on it for ten or fifteen years? Yeah, I don't. I don't think they'll chew on it for that long this time. Uh, but uh, you know, it's one of those things. It's it's a uh, it's a problem uh, that's not insuperable, but is very very difficult. Mainly because of the uh, the, the presence of so many commercial varieties. But you know, in the case of a major major uh, pandemic um, among uh, poultry producers, even if there were a couple uh, of strains that were resistant, they'd, they'd be dominant, and, uh, and that would s uh, solve part of the problem in part. Yeah, although, although, Doc, thinking down the line, let me ask you something. So you end up with one that, that resists the avian flu, and the rest of the strains kind of go by the wayside. Uh, because that's what nature would naturally do with it, right? If, if you've got one bird that will survive this avian flu and it's as widespread as you say, and a bunch that don't resist it, it sounds like one is going to predominate eventually. And then you have one, you know, basically one strain. But then you've got a problem because anytime you've got one strain of anything, then anything that affects it, any disease, any any ailment of any kind, then you don't have a lot of uh, you don't have a lot of flexibility, do you? You don't have a lot of backup. That's that's right. But you know, one would hope that it wouldn't be a single one. It would be uh, maybe half a dozen that uh, of poultry varieties: ducks, chickens, uh, pigeons that are consumable, um, that are uh, bred for and engineered and bred for different reasons. I'm not sure uh, I can warm up to pigeon sandwich. Uh, 
Dr. Miller. I mean, maybe it's just just like I, I don't think I'd want a horse sandwich either. But I, for some reason, the phrase rats with wings, I think, from one of the mayors, one of the late mayors of New York City comes to mind when I think about pigeons. Well, in France, it's a specialty. It's pigeon. <laughs> there's a lot. There's a lot of garbage that the French people eat, and I'm sorry, but uh, you know, I just I I, I can't. Re- we'll let the French. They eat horse too. So, and and you know, while I can wrap my my myself around a steak any day of the week, um, eating horse just doesn't do it for me. But then, you know, that's that's where we are. Doctor Miller, I appreciate the time. Thank you very much. You're welcome. That is Dr. Henry Miller, a medical doctor, molecular biologist. He's at the American Council on Science and Health. In a moment, I want to get back to your phone calls and emails. And I want to talk about a former star from the WWE, World Wrestling Entertainment. He used to weigh 280 pounds, 6 foot, 2 inches tall. He was a beast. And now he's turned into a girl, or so he says. We'll talk about that and the implications of it coming up next on the Lars Larson Show. And yes, the House of Representatives sold us out on impeaching Mayorkas. The Lars Larson Show. Conversation and talk journalism at 866 Hey Lars. Welcome back to the Lars Larson Show. I got good news and I got bad news. The bad news is House Republicans have sold us out in terms of mustering up the votes. All they needed was about 218 votes to be able to impeach Alejandro Mayorkas as Homeland Security Secretary. They couldn't get it done. We got three sellouts, Ken Buck of Colorado, uh, let's see, Gallagher of Wisconsin, and of course, Ken uh, and uh, Tom McClintock of California. We're going to put a request in, see if we can get Congressman McClintock on to explain why living in a state like California that has been overrun by illegal aliens, he was unwilling to convict, or sorry, to impeach Mayorkas for failing to do his duty to protect this country. Then we've got the good news. I consider it good news anyway. Jennifer Crumbly from Michigan, a mom who bought her son a gun, good so far, and she was convicted today of involuntary manslaughter because three years ago, her teenage son, going to Oxford High School in Oxford, Michigan, walked in with a pistol his mom bought him three days earlier, and he murdered four people. He's been convicted, so I can say that he's a convicted murderer. He's sitting behind bars, sentenced to life without the possibility of parole. Mom is looking at perhaps decades behind bars because of her conviction today. It only came down a few hours ago. And why was she convicted? Because of all the things she didn't do to try to identify the threat. She was called to the school. She was asked about pictures her son was drawing of violence, including pictures of guns. Did she say, why, I just bought my son a gun a few days ago. Maybe we should find out where that pistol is. They didn't. It turned out to be in his backpack, which actually I would hold the school responsibility, school officials responsible as well. The principal literally held the backpack with the gun and the ammo in it and commented on it as he handed it back to the murderer, uh, Evan Crumbly, Ethan Crumbly. Uh, He said, boy, this is a heavy backpack. Yeah, it was heavy. It had a pistol and a bunch of ammunition in it. 
Well, the school didn't do its job. Mom didn't do her job. She's convicted of involuntary manslaughter. I'm sure it's going to be appealed. Should the parents of children who commit mass shootings sometimes be held criminally responsible? This is a first for America as near as we can tell. The poll on X is found at Lars Larson Show and at LarsLarson.com. Brought to you by AMAC, the Association of Mature American Citizens. AMAC has the conservative values I believe in, so I joined years and years ago. You can join, too. Just go to amac.us or call 888-262-2006. AMAC's better, better for you and better for America. Now, on this program, for more than a quarter of a century, we have always put naysayers to the head of the line. So if you disagree with me, we welcome that. But you got to have your argument together and stick around yeah. for some questions from me. Uh, let's go first to David, who's a naysayer. David, what do we disagree about that makes you a naysayer? Well, you agree with the fact that uh, they prosecuted that gal over her son's shooting, but I I uh, maintain that it is the state's fault. The state is responsible for that child. You can't even adopt children. Did the state buy him a gun? The state. No, it doesn't have anything to do with the gun. Who's teaching the child? The state. And we well, don't and, have the, any and the parents. And, and the parents. We don't. We don't have any control over what's being taught at school now, do we, Lars? Uh, so you can, you can, you can put a whole slate and hold on, David. If you want, you ask a question, I'll answer it. You can put a whole slate of conservatives on that school board. I've actually seen it done in the last two years, and when they do, they can make a school district hold to traditional American values. It is possible if people get off their duffs. In fact, I'd be willing to ask that if you checked in your community. What was the voter turnout in the last school board election? I'll bet it was south of 25%, which means if you got even a tiny number of conservatives together and voted in a slate of conservatives on the school board, you could change those policies. But here's the central question. Did his mother, did his mother's involvement or things she did or did not do lead to the killings of those four people? Well... I don't know. I don't even want to discuss that part. Well, hold on. That's the whole question. Would, no, you called no, in about the no. shooter mother. How right? did he get? How did he get to, to the school, Lars, with gun? Oh, we well, should blame the bus mother. company no, too. No, wait. No, wait he a minute. He put it in his backpack. Got, do you do you know of any school districts where they search backpacks when you get on the school bus? Nope. And they don't check them for guns when they walk in the door. There's Not no that that would make any difference, would it? Because we've well, seen that well, that game played as well. But uh, you're but trying to tell me this woman had, hold school. on, just so I understand, you don't think she was criminally liable for what happened that day? I wasn't the jury the did. Trial. I don't know the facts. I, I understand neither one of us does, but we can only talk about the things we know. I mean, if every subject that came up required you to be have have an insider position, we couldn't talk about mortgages, we couldn't talk about pollution, we couldn't talk about anything. Because every subject would require more knowledge than we have. So with the knowledge we've got, the jury thought she was guilty of involuntary manslaughter. Do you agree with them or do you say no, she was not guilty of anything? Well, that's kind of the point I'm trying to make. It's not her child. It's I, would, not her I would beg to differ. I would beg to differ. And if it wasn't her child, she gave him a gun. If it wasn't her child, she should have ignored that. Let's go to a second naysayer. Hey, Jamie. Jamie. Welcome to the program. What do we disagree about? Okay, Lars. Um, 
So I have a question for you. So are, are, is, this, is this country been founded under one nation under God? I can't hear your words. You need to. You I need said, to. Has this nation been founded under one nation under one God? One nation under God. That is the belief of the founders that they never could have brought about such a great enterprise as the United States of America without God's guidance. Absolutely. Amen. Thank you for having me on. And you claimed. Uh, but you don't disagree with me. Then you lied to the producer. You claimed a month ago. You guys, the Union family, study the King James Version Bible about a half hour every night. No, no, no. And I don't. I don't subscribe the to the King James Bible. I think. I think the King James Bible is fatally flawed. I, you know, Jamie, don't misquote me. I appreciate it. Let's go to Jane in Nevada. Jane, thanks for listening on KKFT. What's on your mind? Hi, Lars. Um, I've actually been following the case of um, Ethan Crumley and his parents. And both of the parents were uh, tragically and woefully detached from this child. Um, I read some diary entries in his own own handwriting, and I looked at the school study sheets from the day where he committed the murders. Mm -hmm. When his parents were called in because the teacher got the study sheets back, and those were the sheets that had the graphic drawings of firearms and violence on them. Yep. It also had text, and he had written, my life is useless. Why won't somebody help me? And to that effect, um, he also had some text messages that came out in court where he had been well, texting his mother, there's demons in my house, um, please come home. So, in other words, you agree with the jury she that she she was so uninvolved in her son's life, yet yes. decided to buy him a gun three days earlier, and then when she was called to the school, and they said, what about these violent images your son is drawing, uh, you know, that involve guns and violence to people? She didn't say, by the way, we just bought him a gun. We better track that thing down and make sure we yeah. know where it is, right? He, from those words, she should have taken him immediately to the emergency room. Well, here's here's where you'd run into a problem there, Jane. If you take somebody to the emergency room because you believe they're mentally disturbed in most states, they can hold you if they think you are right now, immediately, a danger to yourself. What if you thought your child was thinking of suicide? Wouldn't you want them to hold your child? Yes, I would. But but what I'd ask you is, can you legally hold on to that child in most states? If you can't prove that they are an immediate danger to themselves or others, if you think they are, they can hold you for a few days. Jane, I appreciate the call. You're listening to The Lars Larson Show. Get enough, Lars? 
Follow him on Twitter at Lars Larson Show. Welcome back to the Lars Larson Show. It's hard actually to make a comprehensive list of all the bad things that are happening to this country because of Joe Biden's open borders policies as implemented by his Homeland Security Secretary, Alejandro Mayorkas, who just survived within the last couple of hours, survived an impeachment vote in the House of Representatives, which is a tremendous disappointment. So I thought we'd talk about it with our friend, Dr. Richard Moss, who's now running for election to the U.S. House of Representatives to represent Indiana's 8th Congressional District. Dr. Moss, welcome to the program. Thank you very much. Appreciate your having me on. I'd first like to get your reaction, since this involves the House of Representatives. We have a bare majority of Republicans in the House. They made a solid, I thought, case against Mayorkas, and they end up losing the vote by three people, three turncoats, in my my view, who, who refused to vote for the impeachment of Mayorkas. So I'd like to get your take on that. Well, it's, it's shameful. Uh, you know, no man other than Biden himself has done more damage to the country than Mayorkas. I mean, this invasion of our southern border is the issue of the day. There's other issues, too, but that is the dominant issue. Ten million illegal aliens have invaded our nation, totally unvetted, uh, and they get on our public programs. And Mayorkas was responsible. He implemented Biden's policy uh, of open borders. uh, You know, and uh, it's most important. We have a problem with uh, weak Republicans. Uh, you know, I, I guess we call them rhinos, and uh, I, I guess that's the appropriate term. But let's just say weak Republicans who uh, we just can't count on uh, when the chips are down and uh, we need strong votes. And uh, that, that was very unfortunate situation. I mean, you would think, especially at a time when, as you say, it's the signature issue at this time it's the existential threat to the country you're seeing new york literally diverting billions of dollars of resources and they're not long for resources uh from the citizens to a bunch of illegal aliens saying all these people showed up we have to care for them and and if i lived in new york city i'd be apoplectic to say we don't have enough police we don't have all these other things that should be there for us from the taxes and new york city residents pay gigantic levels of taxation for services and now they're being told sorry we took all your services and we gave it to these illegals instead i mean i would think new yorkers would be going down to city hall with pitchforks and torches but maybe they only do that in places like indiana uh, well, I mean, it's completely misguided. And again, you have to wonder what's in the minds of these very weak Republicans. Uh, again, this is the issue of the day. There are many other issues, the economy and inflation and so forth. But clearly, the dominant issue, what is concerning uh, most people in, in our country, is the invasion of our southern border uh, in the last three years of 10 million illegal aliens, totally unvetted. Uh, you know, disease carrying. Many of them get on our public programs. They burden uh, our public services. Uh, many of them are criminals. We all have heard about fentanyl. Uh, uh, it's 100,000 deaths a year yep. uh, that you can ascribe to uh, the invasion of our southern border by these illegal aliens. Hey, Dr. Moss, tell me about your, or tell, tell my audience about your background and tell me about this race. Who are you running against? And how are you going to win this seat in Congress? Thank you. And yes, well, I'm a cancer surgeon. Uh, I've been in practice for 32 years. I'm married with four children. 
You know, we live in uh, Jasper, Indiana, Du Bois County. It's part of the 8th District, Congressional District, Southern Indiana. And uh, I've had a long interest in politics, and uh, I am deeply concerned about what's happening to the country. I've been writing articles for years, uh, but it's only getting worse. It's not getting better. And part of the problem is sometimes uh, we know the Democrats are radical, but sometimes, again, we have this problem with weak Republicans that don't stand up at the right time. Uh, yeah, it was it was really a travesty that they did not impeach Mayorkas today. No, and in fact, I mean, this has been one of your signature issues in this race. What about your opponent? What's what, what, what the the incumbent in that seat? Right. Well, Larry Bouchon is the uh, congressman, and uh, he's, he's actually retired. not running. And yeah, yeah, he's retiring, so it's an open seat. But my opponent is uh, Mark Mesmer, who is a state representative, state senator, actually. And I know him. We live in the same town. And, uh, you know, he promotes himself as a conservative. But uh, he's very weak on immigration. He uh, he co-authored and sponsored two separate bills, one that would have given illegal aliens driver's licenses or permits, (laughs) and another giving them in-state uh, tuition. Uh, you know, we don't want to incentivize illegal aliens. We want to disincentivize them. We want to incentivize them to leave and, and to re- return to their country. And, you know, they can make, if they want, Guatemala great again, or, you know, Southern Mexico great, Oaxaca, and so forth. Uh, but we have to protect this country. We have to protect American citizens, American jobs, American industries, uh, again, not to mention all sorts of other issues in terms of crime and fentanyl and, uh, you know, a real burden on our public programs. I mean, this is unbelievable. A guy who would sponsor in-state tuition to schools and sponsor driver's licenses, government picture ID for illegal aliens, but he presents himself to the public as a conservative? I know. It's, uh, I mean, it's uh, very misguided. Uh, you know, I, I was very disappointed about it. I, I did confront him about it in the past when it came up. Um, and what, what uh, is he, How does he answer that, that criticism? You know, I, I think he has some sympathy uh, for them. Uh, maybe he knows them personally or has met them. Maybe they've tried to speak with him and to influence him. And, you know, that's all fine to have human compassion But at this stage in the game, my compassion is with American citizens, American jobs, American workers, American industries, and America, the nation as a whole. I mean, this nation is under siege. Uh, We are very much threatened by this invasion of our southern border, and that just has to come first. Uh, And so, you know, my desire is for them to go back to where from where they came. That's, you know, that's what you do when you enter a country illegally. Yes, you get detained and you get deported and sometimes you get fined and sometimes you're jailed. You're not rewarded. That's the last thing you would do. Uh, our, the idea is to get them to return to their country and to prevent other uh, illegal aliens from, from entering the country. That's what we need to do to save the country. No, I'm with you, Dr. Moss. I'm talking to Dr. Richard Moss. Now, Dr. Moss, you've been nice enough to come on. I want to see you win this, I mean, especially given what you described about your opponent. Where can people find your campaign online and help out that effort? Thank you very much. I appreciate that. RichardMossForCongress.com. And, uh, yes, we we definitely need your help and your support if you're interested in 
the problems of our southern border, this uh, invasion of 10 million illegal aliens, the burdens, the crime, the fentanyl, all of those issues. Uh, we definitely need your support, and, uh, and I ask for it. Uh, and uh, together we can make a difference. We can get in there. Yep. We'll have a strong voice that protects this country. We can get cancer surgeon Dr. Richard Moss to cut the cancer of rhinos and Democrats out the of the The Lars Larson Show. Okay, it's a nice ride. It's going to happen. Stand by playback. I know. Lars. Real Red Meat Radio. I may be a white boy, but I'm not stupid. This is the Lars Larson Show. Somebody at the White House has been smoking the devil's lettuce. Honestly, provocative talk radio. More than half the women in my cabinet, more than more than half the people in my cabinet, more than half the women in my administration are women. Lars. Our beloved Lars. republic is in the hands of madmen. This is a dark day. Now, here's your host. Almost lost my wife, my 67 Corvette, and my cat. Lars Larson. Welcome back to the Lars Larson Show. It's a pleasure to be with you on a Tuesday and live on the Radio Northwest Network and a real pleasure. I got to ask you this question. Our ex-poll today has generated so many naysayers. I mean, there are whole weeks that go by without us getting a single naysayer. And there are whole days occasionally. And then on a day like today, I've literally got, I think we will have had a dozen naysayers by the end of the day about this question. Should the parent of a child who commits a mass shooting also be held criminally responsible. Now, somebody pointed out that's kind of an absolute uh, way to ask the question, should every parent? No, I'm not saying every parent. But when the circumstances merited, a jury in Michigan today uh, convicted Jennifer Crumbly, the mother of a teenager who three years ago murdered four people, his classmates, at a school, Oxford High School in Oxford, Michigan. He was convicted, sent to prison uh, for life without parole. His mother has now been convicted, may get 15 years per count in prison. And so why don't I ask my fellow talker, Ari, uh, Ari Hoffman, who joins me now from our Seattle affiliate, KVI. Ari, how are you? I'm doing great, Lars. How are you doing today? I'm doing fine, but I have I have never I have not had a day with this many naysayers, I think, ever in a few decades on the air where people dis and they're disagreeing respectfully. But, uh, you know, I, I, for decades, I've had people say, can we ever hold the parents responsible when their kids do especially, you know, crazy, dangerous, deadly things? And I've said, well, it would take the right set of circumstances. And it sounds like the jury in Michigan found this was the right set of circumstances. What do you think? I think I think that when these things happen, and I'm speaking of this from a, as a guy who did a lot of youth work for 20 years, that when things happen, people say to me, who's the worst kid in your youth organization? I go, no, 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 I'm not going to tell you that, obviously. But the question is, who are the worst parents in the youth organization? Because there's some parents who, when a kid is on the wrong path, they do everything in their power, and sometimes they lose a kid. Sometimes they lose a kid to drugs. Sometimes they lose a kid to violence. Sometimes they lose a kid to crime. Sometimes they lose a kid to the Democrat Party. Even when they do everything right, sometimes that happens. But... The, the issue here is if you see your kid on the wrong path, and this kid had a lot of issues, which were known to, it seems, everybody, and then the parents go out and buy the kid a gun, look, if you've got a kid who's got a, dr a drug problem or a drunk driving problem or anything like that, take away their keys. You know, this is a case where the parents are culpable because they knew there were issues going on. And actually, i got to say something else. The school knew there were issues going on. The school didn't check the kid's backpack when they brought the parents into the meeting. Apparently, he was sitting there in the meeting with the gun 
gun in the backpack. Nobody yep. thought to check any of that out. So my question is, great, if the parents are liable, how about that school principal? How about that school guidance counselor? How about that school in general? They should be equally as liable. Well, so I'll tell you what great minds think alike, because a couple of hours ago, Ari, I pointed out the, the specific testimony a month ago in that case. I wasn't following every day. It just popped up today, and I thought, we got to talk about this. The principal was holding on to the backpack. He had taken it away from the killer, Ethan Crumbly. And uh, and then, for some reason, having called mom all the way down because he's drawing disturbing pictures show, depicting guns and violence and, and other things, and they were concerned. Mom didn't volunteer them. By the way, we just bought him a pistol the other day. Uh, nor does she say, and we don't know exactly where it is because we didn't lock it up, but the principal is holding the backpack, and as he hands it back, his testimony to the jury was, he said, gee, this is really heavy. Well, it was really heavy because it had a, a full semi-auto pistol in it with a bunch of ammunition. But he never once, the principal of the school, who's concerned about a kid drawing pictures that make him think the kid may do something violent, never says, hey, I want to see what's inside this backpack. And I think, I think under the court decisions made, you know, uh, over the years, over the decades, he could have looked in that backpack because the kid brought it inside the school. He can look inside that backpack, but he could have at least asked. He didn't even ask. He just handed it back to the kid with the gun in it. It's bonkers crazy. Look, the other night, here, from my own life story, the other night, my teenage son, who's a relatively new driver, at 11.30 at night, I hear him rustling for his keys in the entry hall. And I go, where are you going? And he says, <laughs> I just feel like going out for a drive. And I said, you're not going anywhere at 11.30 at night. And he goes, why? I go, because it's 11.30 at night. Now, the truth is, he's a good kid, and he probably was just going out for a drive. But at the same time, as a competent parent, if a kid leaves the house at 11.30 at night with their keys, nothing good is going to happen. So you just say no. Parents know these kind of things. Parents know their kids. And the kid's having all these issues. You can live in denial all you want, or you can actually deal with it. Look, Lars, I'm sure you and I both have friends and parents, I know I do for sure, that the schools have told them a bunch of times not to this level, but they say, hey, your kid may have ADHD and they don't want to get tested for it. Or your kid may be on the spectrum and they don't want to get tested for it because they don't want to admit there's a problem. It seems yep. in this case that may be what's going on. And then there's for sure culpability. How many of these stories are there where they were on the FBI watch list and the FBI didn't do anything or the police knew about it and the police didn't do anything or a government official knew about it and didn't do anything? This case was preventable at every single level. And yet nobody did anything about it. And I think that unless you start holding people accountable for that, nothing's going to change. No, and the key, I think the lynch point, not having sat in the, and so you'd be right if you, if my, any of my audience says, Lars, you weren't there. No, I wasn't. But I'll tell you what, if that mom had said, well, you're right, he's drawing these pictures, that's a concern. We just bought him a pistol the other day. Things would have changed because I think the principal might have said, let's look in that backpack and make sure he's not armed right now, which he was, and say to mom, I want you to go home, you know, and he could suggest it. I don't know that he could command mom to do it, but say, go home, find that pistol, and why don't you lock it up the way any responsible gun owner does? I was sharing with people, my, my granddaughter was here this weekend. The state of Washington says there's a requirement, but I've always thought it was sensible either. If I don't have the gun with me, it goes in the safe, period. No exceptions. Yeah, exactly. Why? Because, because mm -hmm. even though I trust Payson explicitly, 
you know, for a long time, she wouldn't even handle a butter knife because her parents and we had said no knives. And now, you know, she's cooking with Nana, so she gets to use some knives, but not all knives. She knows the knives she can't touch. But even that responsible, I wouldn't say, oh, let's just leave a gun out where she can get it and where we don't even know where it is. This mom knew that, and I'll bet she thought, I'm going to sit here and tell the school officials, you've called me in because of disturbing pictures with guns, and I just bought him one a few days ago. And she knew what the reaction would have been. But it probably would have saved four lives. And I think that's why the jury found her guilty. Right, exactly. And look, Lars, I know that at events, sometimes parents come up to me and they go, you know, I tried everything, but I lost my kid to drugs. I tried everything. I lost my kid to that. This isn't that situation. I think that may be, I think that may be what's behind some of your naysayers where they're looking at this and going, well, so many times we feel awful for the parents because they had no idea. But here, now they have to live with this for the rest of their lives. Now they have to go to jail because they knew they could have avoided this. They could have avoided this at multiple times, and they're worried about appearances. They're worried how how it would look. And a parent will do anything for their kids. And at this point, the kid needed help. The parent wasn't there. And there's got to be a culpability for that. I think there is, too. And the other phenomena, they're saying, hey, the schools are taking away all our say-so with our kids about trans, about drugs, about this. And they, and they say, if you keep doing that, parents saying you're not responsible, then you're going to find parents saying, you're right, I'm not responsible. That's Ari Hoffman. He does the show on our affiliate station, KVI, out of Seattle. Back in just a moment, you're listening to The Lars Larson Show. too far away just tell alexa play the lars larson show welcome back to the program glad to have you with me and if you want to join the conversation is 866 hey lars send emails to talk at larslarson.com vote in our fresh daily question on x you can find it at lars larson show a lot of interest has been spurred by that x poll that we've been asking and the development that today a jury in michigan has done something that I've had people calling this show asking about for literally decades. When you hear about something terrible, like a shooting, like the one that happened in Michigan at Oxford High School, uh, happened three years ago in 2021, and uh, a young man, a teenage man, Ethan Crumley, who's now sitting in prison uh, without the possibility of parole, he's there for life, um, his mother was just convicted today by a jury that found her guilty of involuntary manslaughter. Why? Was she holding the gun? Nope. Uh, did she know where the gun was? That was part of the problem. She did not. She had bought the gun for her son a couple of days before. I think that's an admirable thing to do as long as you maintain control of it. She gets called to the school. The school says, we're concerned. Your son's drawing pictures of guns, and uh, we think he's uh, he's got some problems. And does she say, well, he has a gun, uh, but I don't know exactly where it is. Maybe we should find it. She didn't do that. Neither did his father. She went on trial. Jury found her guilty today. Her father, or his father, is going to go on trial next month, and and he may be found guilty as well. She's looking at a possible 15 years in prison. So I get emails like this one uh, from Ray. 
I'm in agreement with the mother being convicted. However, I have to take issue with the mother being held responsible when all over the country parents are having their parental responsibility taken away by woke trans medical industrial complex. Either parents are responsible for their children or they are not, and that should be taken into account. By the way, I have a dog in this fight. I grew up in Oxford, Michigan, and graduated from Oxford High School. Some of my classmates' families were affected. Ray, thank you very much for that. Let me go to a naysayer. Uh, we always like naysayers on the show, and Damon is one. Damon, what do you and I disagree about today? Hey, Lars, how are you? Um, Quite well. Well, I'm going to do my best to debate you. Uh, <laughs> the reason I uh, disagree is, I, you know, I, I understand he's a teenager, and I, if I remember right, you have children yourself. I have stepchildren. Yep. You, okay. And I'm sure there's other parents out there that have bought, uh, let's say, knives. Or, um, and this one's going to be kind of a curveball. Their parents may have paid for a gym membership for uh, their kid, you know, because maybe they like to work out. Okay. And... If this is the case... Because let's say that kid really enjoys lifting weights, got all nice and buff and everything like that. The kid gets in a fight in the school. And hurts somebody. What? And hurts somebody. If not even kill him, because if he got a good punch in. He could. You know. He could. But, Damon, let me ask you. be responsible, though? In this case, though, you're saying if the kid ends up buff, strong, and a punch from him could kill somebody, and then he kills somebody, it's because he worked out of the gym. I don't think there's as much of a connection there. Would you agree that the mom who decides the by supplied a, a, him, the parents supplied him that membership? Hold on, like I, get, I get the example, Damon. The I understand the example, but you know that way. It, that one doesn't make as much sense. Let's go back to the case that's in front of us, and that's Ms. Crumbly, who just was found guilty of involuntary manslaughter. She and her husband buy the boy, the teenager, and he's a boy, a gun. Do they maintain control of it? Nope. Do they lock it up? Nope. Do they even know where it is on the day of the shooting? No, it turns out it was in his backpack. He had that much access to it that it could disappear from the house, and mom and dad didn't know. If they okay, had so let's maintained- use a different scenario then. Okay, go ahead. Let's say it's a knife. Okay? Lots of, um, I'm going to just speak for this. I don't have a son myself, but I I know that my dad supplied me, bought me my first knife. It it wasn't exactly a pocket knife. Okay, but Um, Damon, you're going to go into a long example. I need you to get to the point. The the difference is, the difference is, in America, anybody can buy a knife. Okay. In America, to buy a pistol or a rifle or a shotgun, there are various age rules, and they exclude almost all high school students. But I appreciate the example, and I appreciate the metaphor. I don't think it works, and the jury clearly thought that she was responsible. Let's go to Mike. Hey, Mike, welcome to the Lars Larson Show. What's on your mind? Hey, Lars. Uh, what is somebody going to go after some of these uh, gun-free zones? I do about every week. Why? Well, I mean, so some lawyer go after and hit them hard. I the mean, problem I is, the problem is, Mike, in most cases, except for government bodies like schools and courthouses and city halls, gun-free zones are on private property. You could have a gun-free zone at your house. I would support your private property right to make whatever stupid, foolish rule you want to make. Okay. Now, I might think it's stupid or foolish, but you know what? 
I don't own the property. You do. In the case of schools, especially public schools, it's the decision of elected officials. And I would hope that communities would push back and say gun-free zones are some of the most. And I say this, my producer would tell you about once a week, gun-free zones are the most dangerous places to be in America. Oh, yeah. Well, it's like over 90 percent of the mass shootings are at one. And there's a way to solve that. You go to your school board, you get a school board members elected who say gun-free zones are dangerous, therefore let's not turn our schools into gun-free zones. Yeah, well, I'm just thinking, you know, if you're going to put a sign up, shouldn't you guarantee that it's a gun-free zone? No. Well, no, I, look, there are plenty of I mean, American so companies. Somebody goes in there thinking it's a gun-free zone, and they think, okay, I'm safe in there. Well, you're not. No, you're not. And I, it's a good example. Thank you. Let's go to Lyndon. Lyndon, you heard me mention Ronald Reagan's birthday because I ended up wishing happy birthday to a very wonderful yes, 103-year-old uh, today. Uh, yeah. And she has uh, the same uh, birthday today, as I Reagan. To point out, today is Ronald Reagan's 113th birthday. Yep. And I still think he's the greatest peace president we've ever had, certainly in the last 100 years. As you know, he defeated the uh, Soviet Union and without firing a shot, and the Soviet Union withdrew from Eastern Europe, liberating 80 million people from Soviet communist domination. Yep. And he did that through negotiation. He learned negotiation as president of the Screen Actors Guild. I think he was president for at least eight years of that guild, and he had to negotiate with the lawyers of MGM, Fox, and other big movie studios. All true. And he learned that you have to be able to get up and walk away from the negotiating table when you come to an impasse. And You're that's right. exactly what he did. That's exactly what he did when he was negotiating with Gorbachev in Reykjavik, Iceland. He did. He, he famously walked out. And, and if you aren't ready to walk out, then, then your opponent owns you, don't they? Yeah. And uh, Gorbachev decided at that point that the Cold War was over. They couldn't keep up with us. And they could, couldn't afford to dominate Eastern Europe with all their t divisions of m troops and tanks. So that was it. That was the end of it. And uh, the end of the Cold War, uh, beginning of the end of the Cold War. And that's, that's why Ronald Reagan was such a brilliant negotiator. And we, we need another brilliant negotiator like Ronald Reagan. You mean you don't think Joe Biden's a brilliant negotiator? <laughs> <laughs> no, no not, not by a country mile. No, in fact, in fact, you know, this past weekend, he went to Nevada to give a speech. Now, they were all expecting a campaign speech, but instead, he started talking about how right after he was elected president, which is only three years ago, that he met with the president of Germany, Francois Mitterrand. And even his name might have given you a clue that Mitterrand was never the president of Germany. He was the president of France. And the other problem is that when Biden says he met with Mitterrand right after he was elected, um, Mitterrand died in 1996. Uh, and, and so Joe Biden could not have met with him right after Joe Biden allegedly was elected in November of 2020. Uh, Lou, thanks very much. I appreciate the call. Glad to get your calls at 866-439-5277. If you're a naysayer, we'll put you right to the head of the line. We've always done it. We always will. If you want to send an email, talk at LarsLarson.com. You can also vote in our poll on X. It used to be called Twitter. Now it's X. You'll find that at Lars Larson Show. And 
You can check out our Instagram feed. All the other social media we put up, every single interview on the program is free of charge. You'll find it at LarsLarson.com. You're listening to The Lars Larson Show. Honestly provocative talk for America. The Lars Larson Show. Go to the head of the line at the Lars Larson Show. Welcome back to the Lars Larson Show. It's a pleasure to be with you. I'll get back to your phone calls and emails shortly at 866-HEY-LARS. That's 866-439-5277. Of course, naysayers always go to the head of the line. You can send emails to talk at LarsLarson.com and vote in our X poll, the poll on X, of course, about that case in Michigan involving the mother who was convicted involving the killings carried out by her teenage son. Um, Yeah, you heard that right. Uh, one of the first times in America that's actually happened. But I want to talk for a moment with Paul Winfrey, who's a former Donald Trump policy advisor and now heading up the new think tank, the Economic Policy Innovation Center. Paul, welcome back to the program. Thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. Epic has found some stunning misuse of American money by the Biden administration, hasn't it? Are you surprised? No, I'm not, I'm not surprised at all. I just, it just confirms no. what I know, but yeah, you're right. That, that's exactly right. I, I wish that I was surprised. Um, but here, here's what's going on. So I think the last time that I was on, we talked about the Bidenomics slush fund. That's about, there's a $350 billion pot of money that was included in the Build Back Better bill that was enacted or ran through Congress in early 2021. And there's still about $120 billion in that pot that's sitting out there that states and local governments are wasting. And the Biden administration has been trying to to push it out as quickly as they can. And we found, we've been combing through the data, and we found a number of of, of problematic things, uh, including an instance in uh, the state of Washington where they used about $340 million to send $1,000 uh, checks to folks. However, the one requirement for receiving these checks was uh, that you had to be an undocumented immigrant. You had to be here uh, e- illegally. And So uh, Americans and, and, need not apply. Is that is that basically the, uh, the, uh, the, the program? Amer- Americans need not apply. And it, it gets even better. When we dug into the the state documents on how they were administering the program, uh, we figured out that they were actually marketing it through Planned Parenthood. So, oh my God! So ex- exactly. Oh my God. So it 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 is. It, I mean, could they make it? Any, could they make? It's like. It's like the Biden, I, I hate to say this as a diversion from the main topic, but it's like the Biden administration says, let's steal all the thunder from the Babylon Bee and just make up the craziest stuff and turn it into policy. Th- that's what they're doing. I wish, 
I wish this was from the Babylon Bee, but it, it is it is it is certainly not. As a matter of fact, when when my folks um, initially uncovered this and and uh, and and showed it to me, I said this 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 must be a joke. Um, but it's not. Uh, I mean, it, it, the uh, one of the things that we've seen and that we've uncovered here is that uh, the Treasury Department, again, has been pushing this money on, on state and local governments. And, and as a matter of fact, just last week, the, the Deputy Secretary of the Treasury Department was giving a speech um, to a bunch of liberal uh, non nonprofits telling them uh, to go encourage their local officials to uh, spend more of the money and to give more of it to them um, so that they can protect it and shelter it and make sure that the left is uh, fully funded, regardless of what happens this November. I mean, this seems, number one, blatantly political to say in a presidential election year, the administration is telling states, you've got this cash, figure out a way to shovel it out to people. Oh, and by the way, send a third of a billion of it to illegal aliens in a single state. Now, they all say we're trying to control inflation. We're trying to get it down. You know, Biden talks about it all the time. And you say, what do you suppose happens to inflation when a third of a billion dollars that is put into the hands of people who are illegally here, in many cases can't work. I don't feel sorry for them. They put themselves in that situation. You say, here's a thousand bucks. You know that thousand bucks is going to get spent into the economy, which I, I realize a third of a billion in an American economy, but in a single state, it still has some effect when you put, jam more cash in to buy, you know, goods that are, I just saw today, I haven't been to a McDonald's in a long time, but a Big Mac fries and a Coke is $18 now. And you say, what's pushing all this inflation up? Oh, I don't know, putting cash in the hands of people guaranteed to spend it who aren't even legally in the country and telling Americans they're not even eligible for the program? That's right. It's all it's all debt finance. And, and you know, the, the sort of a larger question that we've had is if you're trying to secure the border. Right. How can you adequately do that, regardless of what you're doing in Texas and in Arizona and New Mexico and elsewhere, when you are creating massive magnets for people to come here? Right. Because it's not just the cash assistance. I mean, other states have been using it uh, to provide legal assistance. Other states like Massachusetts have been using it to provide uh, free free housing. Um, you know, you've got to stop the attraction. You've got to claw back the welfare state before you before you secure the border. And I mean, but to your point, I mean, this is all debt finance. It's it's all debt finance. It's all financed by printing money. I'm talking to Paul Winfrey, who's the uh, he's heading up the think tank, the Economic Policy Innovation Center, which is where you see these weird contradictions. Eric Adams will tell you. Oh my God, you're, we, we can't handle all these illegal aliens. So tell you what, why and he just proposed this Friday, 53 million bucks in the form of thousand dollar prepaid credit cards, you know, which they load up with cash or debit cards and hand out, but only to illegal aliens. And you think you're trying to keep people out of the country, but you're telling them if they can get across the border and get a free Joe Biden airplane ticket to New York, they get a thousand dollars a month for doing nothing. Well, yeah, yeah, you must really be trying to keep these people away from here when you're offering them cash just to show up. That's that's exactly right. I mean, that's the magnet that we're talking about. And, you know, we're already starting to see. I mean, as we talked about before, you know, the Trump tax cuts from 2017 on individuals, those all expire next year. And we've started to see the White House talk about how, well, you know, maybe we should let those tax cuts expire. 
So while we've been doing all this inflationary uh, spending, as we've been paying for all of the spending, including to uh, illegals, um, by printing uh, money, the White House is now talking about letting people's taxes go up in an environment where prices have gone up by 20% since Biden came into office. I mean, I, I, it's just, it, it's just unfathomable. So um, let me ask, as you let me ask I mean, you a legal question. Babylon B stuff. Paul, mm-hmm. let me ask you this. This is officially from the Coronavirus State and Local Recovery Fund, the SLFRF. Was it legal to spend the money for that purpose, given that the pandemic is over? This is not about coronavirus. It's just giving money away. Is it even legal? And could could a new federal government under a different president come January claw that third of a billion back? That is a great question. Uh, it is legal because when Congress created the program, they they essentially did so with no strings attached. They wow. said if states and locals can figure out a way to spend it, then we will give it to them, including under a category that they called revenue replacement, which was intended to cover revenue that was lost from the pandemic. But what a lot of these blue states have done is created new programs that they're now funding with this pot of money. Uh, but the way that we look at it is that there is a lot that this Congress can do. And we're actually working with members of Congress right now, including Mike Johnson in the House of Representatives, the Speaker, on putting additional strings on this money so that there will be some left over should there be a, a change in the administration here come January. I got to tell you, when, when they could have said, let's help out veterans, let's help out America's mm-hmm. elderly, let's find people who are having a tough time paying their regular expenses, no. They give a third of a billion dollars away to illegal aliens who have no business being here to begin with. Paul, thank you very much. That's Paul Winfrey, former Donald Trump advisor, now at the Economic Policy Innovation Center. When I get back, we'll get to your phone calls at 866-HEY-LARS. That's 866-439-5277. Send your emails to talk at LarsLarson.com. And you're listening to The Lars Larson Show. So tell Alexa to play The Lars Larson Show and check me out on Instagram. My wife. Exercising the right to free speech every day. This is the Lars Larson Show. Welcome back to the Lars Larson Show. I want to get to calls, but in a moment, I got to talk about the Biden administration and its plans for the FAA. I mean, just today we found out that Boeing airplane with the plug in the side that blew out at 16,000 feet. And now they've got pictures from the Boeing factory floor that show it was missing bolts. They didn't put the bolts in. Now, I understand the plug is actually made by a company called uh, Spirit that's in the Midwest, and they're supposed to put it in, but apparently they had to pull it out to put a new door seal in, and when they put it back in, they didn't put the bolts back in. And there's a picture to prove that the bolts were missing. Now, one other thing blew out. So with, with problems like that in the airline industry, 19 near misses at major airports just in 2023, you know, where you've got planes almost running into each other, 
I want to tell you about the Biden administration's plans to have not skill, not talent, not ability, but diversity, equity, and inclusion decide who works for the federal government's aviation regulatory agency known as the FAA. First, though, I want to go to uh, Tanya, who's a naysayer, and let me just tell you that today we got the word that in the state of Michigan, there's a mom, uh, uh, Miss Crumbly, uh, who was convicted of involuntary manslaughter because three years ago her teenage son went to school with a pistol and ammunition, killed four people. He's sitting in prison. He gets life with no parole. His mom was accused of involuntary manslaughter because of the role she played in all that, although she didn't go to school with him, she didn't hold the gun, and she didn't pull the trigger. But I think they were right to convict her of involuntary manslaughter. And then I get Tanya, who's a naysayer. Tanya, welcome to the program. You know we love naysayers on the Lars Larson Show. So what do we disagree about when it comes to this? Uh, the mom? A lot. And I want to tell you, 90% of the time, I agree with you. <laughs> There's but always this, a but I'm at the end of that sentence. <laughs> <laughs> well, this time I 100% disagree. Okay. And one, and it's a huge issue, is the government. They come in, they tell you, you can't spank your kids. You can't discipline your kids. Now you're going to hold them responsible. Two, the transgender stuff, sorry. Um, no, don't apologize for that. I think you. the transgender crowd should apologize, but go ahead. But that's what I'm saying. The government is is stepping into all this stuff, and they're already trying to take away our guns. And so this is just another that. part of that because if parents are afraid to buy a gun because their kids might get it, there's gun control. Um we well, are well, hold on. Well, can, I throw, can I throw an objection yep. in there? Tanya, I yep. own guns. I own pistols and rifles and shotguns and the whole Marianne, right? I got a pistol right next yep. to me right now, okay? Yep. When my granddaughter was here this weekend, I keep it, unless it's on my hip, it's locked up. Why? Do I think I can trust uh, Payson not to go mess with the gun? She's been taught. She doesn't even, she's, she'll tell us if you hand her a steak knife, she'll say, I'm not allowed to touch that knife, period. She understands the rules, but even still... I keep it locked up. This mom got called to the school on the day of the shooting. And the school said, hey, your son's drawing some really weird pictures that involve guns and people getting hurt. We're concerned about this. What do you know? Does she say, well, by the way, I just bought my son a gun three days ago, and I don't know where it is. Uh, she didn't say that. And where was it? It was in his backpack. And the school has some fault, too, because the principal who talked to uh, Ethan Crumbly, now locked up for pre in prison for life, uh, had his backpack, had taken away from him, never asked to look in it, never asked him what was in it. And, and when he handed it back, the testimony at the trial was that he said, yeah, I even told him, yeah, th this backpack's really heavy. Well, it was really heavy because it had a pistol and a bunch of extra ammunition in it. I mean, it sounds like there was stupidity to go around. But did the mom have a responsibility in that case to say, yeah, I just bought my son a gun. Maybe I should go home and see if I can find it because I didn't lock it up. I just couldn't imagine. I didn't even know my son was bullied at school until a couple of years ago. And no, but again, when the school does call you and they call you and say, hey, it's really important to come down right now. Clearly, they're concerned about something. I mean, they don't ordinarily just summon parents to school unless somebody got hurt or unless they're really concerned about something. And when the jury heard all of this and said, so you bought your son a gun, you didn't lock it up, you didn't limit his access to it, and when the school calls you and says, hey, he's drawing pictures of guns and we're concerned about, you know, what's being shown in these pictures, 
I don't, I've never seen the pictures, so I don't know what they looked like, but they were concerned enough to call mom in. She didn't say, by the way, I just bought him a gun, and maybe we should find out where it is. Well, I agree she should have said something, but I still think she shouldn't go to prison because, like I said, that if people are afraid that they're going to get in trouble because their kids might sneak out guns, number one, I never had handguns in my house when my kids were little oh, for I this very reason, but that was my choice. Okay, and it was. Um, you yes. know, there's a lot of people who go out practicing shooting guns of all kinds. That's their right. Yep, it's fun. But, again, I still think this is part of gun control because people are going to voluntarily give up their guns, take them off your hands. Oh, yeah, that's the, the so-called gun buybacks. That. People are buying guns that they've never owned and calling it a gun buyback. But let me ask you something, Tanya. I think it's almost more, it will make more people in favor of gun control. I'm not. But it will persuade no. the people who, hold on, that, that it'll persuade people when you say, you see all these crazy things that happen with guns? Because there are adults, I, I, would, I love the idea of a parent buying a gun for a, a, a young man or woman. That's a great idea. But you have to maintain control of it the same way you maintain control of steak knives or automobiles or chemicals in the garage or, or whatever. You don't hand a chan chainsaw to a 10-year-old unless they've had some instruction and precautions and all of that. You don't do that. And so when we let people do stupid things, when it comes to their kids and guns and somebody ends up dead... That ends up being an argument in favor if we don't hold people responsible. You don't see her as having any responsibility at all. Not really, because as a parent, you want to believe in your child. You don't really believe that they'd really do something like that. Oh, hold on, hold on. Even as a mom, as a mom, Tanya, answer this for me. Yeah. Has your has your child ever done something colossally stupid right in front of you that you've told them not to do before that put either them or you at risk? <laughs> my son shot up heroin with me oh my and my God. kids in the car. Oh my God. Well, Tanya, that's that's a better example than I thought it was going to get. But Tanya, thank you very much. You've been a great she's one of the best naysayers either. Uh, uh anyway, and there are other people who say they want to be king of the naysayers. I think Tanya's gonna give you a run for your money. Let me tell you this though, very quickly. So with all these things happening in American aviation, door plugs blowing out of planes, near misses in the sky, I mean, really stupid stuff. What does the Biden administration do? They double down on stupid. And they say, we're going to hire people to work in the FAA, the Federal Aviation Administration, not based on skills, not based on talents, not based on their abilities, but based on DEI, diversity, equity, and inclusion. They're going to hire people based on whether or not it checks certain political boxes. That's the kind of decision-making that we're getting from the White House. So you've got stupid on steroids from the Biden administration when it comes to the FAA. And they say increasing diversity in the FAA is one of their top focuses. Well, guess what, folks? It's going to make things more dangerous for all of the rest of us. Glad to get your calls. You're listening to The Lars Larson Show. The Lars Larson Show.